Hello and welcome to the Biotech 2050 podcast. Biotech 2050 is a think tank chronicling the disruptions changing the biotech industry over the next several decades. Check out our website at biotech2050.com. I'm one of today's co-hosts, Alok Tai. I'm the VP of Life Sciences at Ignite, and we're a secure content platform focused on key global industries. Hi, I'm Rahul Chaturvedi, the other co-host of Biotech 2050. I'm also the founder and CEO of Clora. Clora is a two-sided marketplace that leverages software to match top-tier life sciences expertise to biotech companies in order to accelerate and de-risk their development. I'm excited to welcome Randy Schatzman, the Chief Executive Officer of Bolt Biotherapeutics. Thanks for taking the time to chat with us today, Randy. It's my pleasure to join you both. Great. We'd love to start off with your background, career journey, and how you got to what you're working on today. That'd be my pleasure. So my background is I was trained as a, a biochemist as an undergraduate and then went on to get a pharmacology degree at Emory University. And that's really where it sparked my interest in doing drug discovery and drug development as we understood the effect of drugs on human physiology in places where we could intervene. I had the opportunity to postdoc at UCSF with Mike Bishop learning about cancer oncogenes and a whole new field that we felt would be a great place to intervene in cancer therapeutics, and then had the opportunity then to spend my next 20 years in a variety of companies applying those learnings to various drug discovery and development programs. My most recent involvement before joining Bolt was at a company called Alder Biopharmaceuticals, which I co-founded with several other colleagues. Uh, and our focus was on taking monoclonal antibody therapeutics and applying them to new disease areas where they had not played a role previously. And in this case, we were looking at a new treatment for treating chronic migraine patients, but using antibodies as a therapeutic modality for that, thinking that we could take a prevention strategy as opposed to a a treatment strategy once the migraine started in patients. And we succeeded with that. And the drug that we invented is now on the market. It's called Viepti. was recently uh, approved by the FDA and launched. The company was acquired by Lundbeck in the fall. I joined Bolt Therapeutics last summer and have had the opportunity to engage with the team there. And our focus is really about harnessing the innate side of the immune system to address some of the biggest unmet needs in the cancer space today. Awesome. Well, we really appreciate the intro. And, you know, given sort of your experience, both monoclonal antibodies, as well as the focus on oncology, maybe could you set, help us set the stage for what cancer therapies are like today and some of the challenges that you see with the current exciting modes that people are addressing? I mean, obviously, cancer therapeutics have come a long way in the last few years. I mean, we have for the longest time treated our patients with a select group of poisons, which in some cases were as poisonous for the patient as they were for the cancer itself and had a very mixed success with that. I think now we're able to more specifically dial in appropriate therapeutics for our patients, and we're actually seeing just incredible outcomes you know, with drugs like Herceptin and others that have come along, and some of the newer technologies surrounding taking monoclonal antibody therapeutics and putting a toxic payload on them to really direct a toxin to a cancer itself. And again, we're getting you know substantial response rates, long-term outcomes for these patients, and in some cases, we're seeing cures. And I think even more interestingly is this whole new field of what we call immuno-oncology, which is both the directing but the reawakening 
of a patient's immune system to recognize and, and uh, attack their cancers in various ways. And again, we're seeing some, some very interesting outcomes on those, but for a select set of patients, not all patients benefit and many patients who do benefit experience those cancers returning over time. And so now with that primer for our listeners, uh, would love to now dig into both therapeutics and you know, perhaps the, the founding story or some of the early data that you have and what you're working on now. Yeah, so where where Bolt came from was through some uh, initial experiments that were conducted in Ed Engelman's lab over at Stanford. And the notion really was of can one sort of take advantage of and, and reawaken what we call the innate side of the immune system and thereby do a better directing of the overall immune response toward a particular cancer. And they were directing their attention toward a variety of places where you could stimulate the immune system. And in particular, the one that they settled on was what we call toll-like receptors or TLRs. Uh, you'll probably hear me say through the, the chat here. And by tickling those up, they were able to reawaken the myeloid cells which invade tumors uh, and are there, and in so doing, uh, have a modality to begin to eliminate cancers along the way. One of the fundamental observations that they made was is that you can, and, and TLR agonists have, have been around for a long time and have been dosed systemically with toxic implications or more locally within the tumor with variable levels of efficacy. But what Ed and the team over there showed was that if you actually conjugated this TLR agonist to the antibody, you got orders of magnitude improved response by those tumors as compared with either the antibody alone the TLR agonist alone, or even if you mix the two and put them in the tumor. But by conjugating them, the level of potency and response went up dramatically. And that's where we have been focused at Bolt, is taking that technology, developing it further and optimizing it, and ultimately bringing it forward into the clinic. And for our knowledge, are you guys focused on a specific asset, or are you sort of taking more of a platform-oriented approach? How do you think about sort of the, the myriad of different sort of ADCs one could sort of conjure, right, uh, in that context? So we do see it as a broadly applicable technology that can apply to a, a great many tumor-targeted antibodies, and in addition, can apply it to uh, probably a, a wide variety of, of tumor-specific antigens as well. So while we have a, a lead agent that we are advancing, through the clinic at this point in time, the team is also working hard to apply the technology to other areas where we see further unmet need that are beyond what the initial agent will address. But we think it's also a technology that potential partners could take advantage of to improve their therapeutics that they're already moving forward with. And now from a milestone perspective, you know, where are you from a, from a lead asset perspective? And, and also, how are you thinking about follow-ons to that lead asset? Our lead asset is one that we call BDC-1001. And this is a monoclonal antibody called trastuzumab which has been used in patients for years and very successfully treated them. Uh, and to that, we are conjugating a proprietary small molecule that's an agonist of TLR7 and TLR8. And this is a small molecule that was invented by Bolt chemists. And we have significant intellectual property around that. And we've taken that through IND enabling studies at this point and have filed our first IND and received clearance from the FDA to move into patients. And we've begun our phase one study and dose escalation phase of that study more specifically in patients who are HER2 positive 
HER2 is the tumor antigen that the trastuzumab antibody recognizes. So alongside of that, that lead agent will address a number of different tumor types like breast cancer, where those patients have seen Herceptin, which is the trade name for trastuzumab, and have progressed on those therapies such that they need something more. This is an opportunity to give them a a new and additional option. But there are also a a variety of cancer types that are HER2 positive. I mean, first and foremost amongst these are breast cancers, but also alongside that we see uh, a number of cancers like uh, gastric, colorectal, and others that will be appropriate for that type of treatment. In addition to to 1001, the, the team is thinking about other types of places in cancer where there is unmet need today. And with the growing use of checkpoint inhibitors, uh, we're also finding patients who are either uh, not responsive to those or who become resistant over time. And so the question is, can we use this technology to solve their problems? We believe the answer to that is yes. And we have a proprietary therapeutic moving forward where we expect to name a clinical candidate sometime later this year in 2020. Awesome. You know, Randy, one of the things that I'm really curious about is from a strategic perspective, I've often heard many folks struggle with deciding how much resource to allocate to, say, their lead program to drive focus, but at the same time in terms of their broader platform and other sort of parallel indications or other parallel programs. How do you sort of think about that tension between lead asset versus sort of platform? You know, that's such a great question because that's something that that we live at Bolt every day. It has to do with how do you build, you know, value at a fast enough rate so that you can continue to excite investors and raise new dollars, but at the same time, give yourself what we call additional shots on goal so that if there's a hiccup or something happens with the the lead, that you've got another quick follow-on behind that to continue to build value and build the company with. And how do you then deploy those dollars, you know, across both of those? One, I think that obviously the lead needs to carry the the bulk of the the dollars, the focus, and the in-house time. But alongside of that, with a very talented group like we have at Bolt, um, it's easy to to begin taking parts of people and having them focus, you know, on earlier programs at the same time while they begin to hand off that lead, you know, to a more advanced team like the clinical team in this case, uh, and they can pivot and begin uh, thinking about some of the preclinical IND enabling experiments that you need to do with the earlier agents. But it's an ongoing thing. And it's a pressure that I think every company at our stage probably faces along the way. Yeah, would love to understand for some of our listeners that are in management, how you balance the time that your team is spending on that lead asset. And and then, you know, how much time do you allocate to follow-ons or, or other assets? Is there any sort of methodology that you've developed or more so, how do you get everyone to focus on the right things at the right time? Well, this is what we, I mean, we call this portfolio management. And rather than looking at programs, you know, individually um, and where they need to be, you need to essentially on a big whiteboard or some kind of a chart, uh, have all the programs and, and where they're at alongside of that lead and begin to understand where you can, you know, have some of your time of, of people in-house spend on the lead versus you know, where are the critical points in the earlier programs where you need more time from some of those people? And I think that's the the key to managing this is is to do it as a portfolio as opposed to, you know, the programs just singly and dealing with the, the problems that each of the programs has. Great, great points. I think there's no magic to it. 
it really is sort of a living problem that changes on a, a week-to-week, if not even a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. You, you know, it strikes me that uh, at least in tech, which is perhaps a perspective that Rahul and I know a little bit better, is you have um, a lot more sort of a gut instinct, I think, right, that often comes into play when you're thinking about making those sort of decisions. You know, how much of that do you think comes down to sort of just gut when it comes to sort of the biotech world, especially one that's sort of rooted in data? Well, I think there's a, a gut in terms of sort of the, the data as you get it and how excited you might be or how compelling that data is. But I think there's also a, a deep experience across our team that understands sort of the time it takes to get through certain types of preclinical models or toxicology studies, for example, uh, that you can sort of map into those plans. And in knowing that, I think it's a little clearer in terms of how to deploy resources across the various programs. Makes a lot of sense. So, you know, from there, given the uncertain economic times that we're in right now with coronavirus, would love to hear a little bit about your experiences um, having uh, led and taken biotech companies public previously and running them even during uh, uncertain times like the 2008 sort of recession. Yeah, we'd love to hear your thoughts on that and any advice you could sort of share for the broader audience. So there's there's really two things that I I think in terms of that and that is, is in this case how is coronavirus impacting our programs you know in a more direct sense and in particular I'm thinking the ongoing clinical studies that we have and that really means you know taking time and spending them with our clinical sites and understanding their problems and whether they can continue to attract patients but patient safety as always has to be first. Uh, and making sure that these are patients that are already, you know, struggling with, you know, advanced stage cancers in the case of Bolt. And we want to keep them safe and treat them in a way that provides the best outcome for them. So we spend a lot of time thinking about that and asking questions. How can we make life easier for our patients uh, and not jeopardize them by having them come in quite as often into the clinic? And then there's the, I'll call it the larger problem, and that is how do you keep the company funded through all of this? And I think the the question that we dealt with at my prior company called Alder, uh, we started Alder in 2004. It was venture funded, very similar to what Bolt is. Uh, we ran into the, the Great Recession of 2008 and nine, and venture dollars dried up. And in that case, the question was, well, what do we do to continue to move our programs forward? In this case, we, we pivoted and started having discussions about our lead program with Pharma and asked, was there a model there where pharma could either fund or take on that lead program and provide, in this case, all their cash so we could continue to pay for our employees and develop the pipeline that we had. And in that case, we did score a substantial partnership that brought in significant dollars for us. Uh, they took on the lead program. We were able to pivot and fund the rest of the pipeline and bring that along in a successful way that allowed us some years later to, to take that company public. I suspect that there will be, in the current coronavirus environment, uh, more companies that are thinking along the, the same lines. The good news today, I think, in this environment is venture capitalists still have cash to deploy. Public investors have cash to deploy and want to make sure that their portfolios are seeing growth along the way. So at least that's still out there. They're probably taking more time across those portfolios to understand you know, where to deploy those dollars for maximum benefit, uh, as opposed to having those dollars completely dry up as they did back in 2008 and nine. But this is really one of, I think, management teams sort of understanding what their assets are and what their opportunities are to bring dollars through the front door. And it's not always going to be the same formula for each company. 
very salient uh, advice for those that are that are listening in. If you think about the Great Recession of 2008-2009 and where we are right now, what are some differences that you're seeing? You, you mentioned something around VCs having more capital to deploy. There's, there's certainly quite a bit of dry powder out there. Are you seeing any other differences? Well, again, I think some of the differences that I see today is, is that um, with uh, stock market sort of having readjusted down you know, 25%, 30%, from where it was four weeks ago, investors are asking the question, one, you know, if I can go out and I can buy a stock that today is at $20 and three weeks ago it was at 50, should I be spending my money on those public stocks and investment or should I be thinking about, you know, new opportunities that may provide some significant future upside? For example, Bolt um, is, you know, which of these are the best place to deploy cash? And I think that's the difference from what we saw back in, in 2008 where things by and large, had seized up, um, and there wasn't quite as much cash in the system as there is today. Yeah, well, you know, I think uh, it's it's fair to say that the experience that we're having right now macroeconomically is, let's hope, once in a, once in a lifetime, but certainly one that I think has created some really unique and challenging sort of financing circumstances. When you sort of look at the future for Bolt, do you sort of aspire, do you think it's the type of company and, and has the vision that could also access the public markets one day? I think that actually is the case. I, this is, a, you know, oncology is a story that I think has been a, a passion for, for many investors and provides a lot of upside for them. There's great stories of technologies that are in significant ways solving different cancers for patients. In addition, there's some great stories of companies that are being acquired with significant you know, upside by pharma companies. So there's, a, I think, a lot of positive stories in there that public space investors you know, would like to continue to invest in. I think Bolt is one of those. The technology that we have really is a, a next generation technology that is going to both address uh, the resistance that we see with current standard of care amongst a variety of agents today, but also one of addressing what we call recurrence, which is uh, the cancers that always seem to come back because it leaves patients with an immune memory of their cancers that should prevent that and provide patients with a much more durable response to our agents. And that, I believe, will be an exciting story for public space investors. And that's something that, that we're obviously aspiring to be sometime in time when the markets hopefully return to a much more normal state than they are today. For sure. So, you know, I think um, maybe before we wrap up, one of the last questions uh, we often like to ask our guests is, based on what you've seen so far in your experience, you know, building companies for almost two decades or more now, do you think right now we are in the golden age of biotech? Oh, I think very definitely that's the case. I think it's taken, you know, several decades for biotechnology to, I think, really prove itself and deliver on the, the promise that we all wanted it to have back in the 80s and the 90s. It was some of the agents and the number of approvals that we're seeing coming through FDA. And clearly, much of the innovation that we're seeing across the industry, whether it's oncology, whether it's neuroscience, it is coming from small, innovative companies like Bolt and others that are out there. And obviously, it's an exciting place to be today. I've never seen a more productive environment in biotech than I'm seeing, uh, obviously, at this point in time. Great. Well, uh, on that note, Randy, thank you so much for sharing your inspiring background with us, the exciting work being done at Bolt, and, and also sharing a bit about your aspirations. Thanks for joining us. It's been my pleasure. Thank you, gents. Thank you for listening to this episode of Biotech 2050. 
This episode is hosted by me, Rahul Chaturvedi, and Alok Tai. It's edited and mixed by Megan Lovering. If you enjoyed this episode of Biotech 2050, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. Also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at biotech2050pod. Again, that's biotech2050pod. Until next time.